Cole Shack's Loop Podcast, Episode 11, The Werewolf. This is Richard Haddam reminding you never to book a cruise during a full moon. And you're listening to the Kolshak's Loop Podcast. Welcome, everybody. My name is Robert. Joined with Bradley tonight. Welcome to the Coal Shack's Loot Podcast. Episode where we're talking about the werewolf. Um, thrilled to be able to do this tonight. Um, we're going to be covering once again the story of Carl Kolshak, inspired by, created by the masterful Jeffrey Rice. Um, by the way, we had our interview with James Rice just recently, and that will be coming out soon. We'll talk about that a little bit more in detail. And, um, you know, once again, I will say that my, my memory of one of the shows has, in how much I enjoyed it, has changed. Um, watching it this time, maybe it's because of podcasting. I don't know. And just trying to pay more attention to what I'm watching and taking notes and thinking about it. I just loved this episode. Absolutely loved it. Um, so, Bradley, how are you doing? And just in general, what did you think about this episode? I thought this was a pretty good episode, but tonight I'm not doing this podcast with you. I'm sorry. I've won a trip to go on a cruise ship, and I'm, I'm actually got one foot out the door right now, and uh, I'm just waiting, waiting for the call. What? Hey, hold on. That, that's them now. That's them now. Yeah, hello? Sick? What? Tell them I'm sick. <sighs> Looks like I'm stuck here doing the podcast with you, Robert. But yeah, this was a good episode. Comedy uh, gold, everybody. I, Comedy gold. <laughs> but uh, no, in all seriousness, no, uh, super fun episode, and I'm ready to talk about it. How about you? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Do we want to get get a little something out of the way with so some corrections in the beginning? Sure, go ahead. Okay, so def, some some very um, uh, adept listener uh, noticed that I got some decades wrong when it came to a reference to the movie that I added to Bradley's list, which was The Hunger with David Bowie and Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve. And um, in that, Bradley had said that he believed that there was some undertones or there were some uh, references to in representing the AIDS epidemic at the time. And I was like, oh, no, that, that didn't happen in the 80s. That happened in the 90s. Well, I was way off. 
And and luckily we had somebody pay attention to that and chime in on one of our sites and correct it. And that's awesome. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, and we appreciate anybody giving us feedback and checking our sort of sources, what we say. So thank you for doing that. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, this is not the first time we've had to make corrections. I'm sure it won't be the last, but definitely thank you guys for contacting us, getting in contact with us about that. And if you need to con- get in contact with us about anything Call Shack related, you can find us. Of course, you can find us at our Facebook page at Call Shack's Loop. You can find us at Gmail. It's going to be Loop at gmail.com. You can find us on all the other social sites that we're probably not as active on as we are Facebook, at Twitter, Instagram. We've got a Twitch. We've got a YouTube. Uh, and look, just search Call Shack. Cole Shack's loop, unless you're James Rice who says Cole Check Sloop, or his dad. So you could do that. Or you can also call the number, the hotline, the Cole Shack hotline is 662-374-0778. And uh, who knows, maybe in the future we might have a Cole Shack after dark and we might have some, uh, do more like a live show. But that's all in the future. That's here and now. And, uh, you know, what else is here now is the news. Now, that is news, Vincenzo. News. And we are a news paper. We are supposed to print news, not suppress it. So, Robert, you want to take that first headline we've got there? Well, I, you know, actually, I'd rather talk about the second one, if that's at all possible. Hey, that's... The, uh, the second actor, because... Uh, uh, is that what you wanted me to do, or do you want me to read the whole thing? No, I can, I'll, I'll read the first one, and we'll, and we'll yeah, talk Yeah, read the it. first one, and I'll, I'll take the second one. All right, so the, uh, the headline is... Uh, actor 98, Larry Storch, picks New Jersey for his final gig. Uh, a 98-year-old actor best remembered for starring on F Troop in the 60s and also our beloved Kolchak is making his finest final public appearance, and that was in New Jersey. That was on Sunday. Uh, this was posted July 10th, so this has been this past Sunday. Uh, it is his final gig. Some, uh, Beckoff said uh, he's the manager of where he, he performed. Though it has been more than a decade since he had an acting role, Storch remains connected to to fans via his Facebook page, which has 54,000 followers. Hey, maybe we could reach out to him and uh, talk a little Cole Shack with him. Absolutely. It, folks, here's the deal. If anybody else is alive out there in Cole Shack world, and you guys have heard them on other podcasts, if you know how to get a hold of them, tell us. We will be more than happy. And I feel horrible because two years ago, I made the list of who I wanted to talk to. And our next person who just passed away, William Smith, was on that list. And I'd noticed um, that he, and, and I hadn't even seen the episode that he's in, which is almost uh, in a kind of a cool way, somewhat autobiographical, uh, or at least bio- biographical. Um, for what William Smith was like in real life. Uh, William Smith is in an episode called The Energy Eater. He was famously one of the bad guys in a Clint Eastwood movie, but honestly, he wasn't that much of a bad guy. He's kind of a good guy, bad guy. And you could tell there was a mutual respect between um, his character and Clint Eastwood. And uh, Now, Bradley, I can't remember. Have you seen any of the Any Which Way But Loose movies? Are you familiar with the term is- Right Turn Clyde? Uh, is that a Clint Eastwood movie? Yeah. The, the, the ones Clint I've Eastwood. seen are uh, are the fistful of dollars, few dollars more. Okay. No, uh, these these are comical ones. I haven't seen and those. I've, he I've, is a yeah. he's a street fighter, 
in this. And he, uh, street fighter for money, and he is um, asked to travel somewhere to take on, you know, the uh, whatever it is, maybe like the West Coast version. Even though he's probably out in California, whatever it is, it's it's the other guy who's the top of the the chain, and that's William Smith's character. But here here's something that I think is really interesting, and a lot of people my age and and older will probably remember uh, a show called Rich Man Poor Man, and in that show, William Smith played a bad guy named Falconetti, and that's actually the last name, all one word. Um, as a little kid, I thought it was Falcon Eddie. Two words, and I got that wrong for a really long time. But um, he was a former bodybuilder and um, actually enlisted in the service, became a fighter pilot, and um, ended up um, getting his master's degree, um, graduated, I believe it was cum laude, and ended up having um, five or six foreign languages that he could speak. He had intended to join the service as a, I guess, some sort of special intelligence officer and just ended up getting roles in movies and went the acting route instead. So very interesting guy. That's cool. Um, he's, That's cool. I'm sure he is, he is sorely missed uh, for the people who knew and loved him. And it, it's, a, it's a shame that he was typically always a bad guy. Um, in many of the things you saw him, um, he's in Red Dawn. He's in... Uh, yeah, Rumblefish. Yeah. Not not that he's even a bad guy necessarily in Rumblefish. He's a, he's a policeman who actually kind of begs for his life in Rumblefish, even though I think he plays kind of a bad guy in some parts of it. But um, we, we will definitely miss him. Sorry I spent too long on that. But, yeah, he's he's somebody who I have known about since the early 70s. And, of course, the other character that was in there, or the actor who was in uh, Rich Man, Poor Man, who was very famous, was Nick Nolte. And Nick Nolte usually had his battles with William Smith or Falconetti. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't think you can take too long on that. I meant remembering somebody like that. Thank you for that, Robert. Uh, and I think if we're going to move on here, I think uh, next will be the uh, TV Guide segment of the week. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Jimmy Walker of Good Times. Good reading, TV Guide. All right, uh, the TV Guide segment of the week. Um, so on CBS, you have the Planet of the Apes again, The Deception. Uh, you have the movie The Graduate from 1967, finishing out tonight. On ABC, you have Kung Fu, The Garments of Rage. At 9, The $6 Million Man, The $7 Million Man. And, of course, at 10, you have Cole Shack, The Night Stalker, The Werewolf. And on NBC, you have Sanford and Son, My Kingdom for a Horse, Chico and the Man Lifestyle, the Rockford Files, Find Me If You Can at 9, and Policewoman Fish at 10 o'clock, airing uh, opposite our Cole Shack, The Night Stalker. Um, and and this is the date for this is actually November 1st, uh, 1974. And if you look, you'll notice that uh, there is quite a gap, almost a month gap since the last episode, which I think was like October 4th. There's a month gap here between episodes almost. And uh, so I did, being the, you know, doing my due diligence and being the, the brilliant man that I am. Of course, I consult Mark Bluitziak and bother him in the middle of writing his Poe book to figure out what the deal is. <laughs> so from Mark Bluitziak, a gap was created. This is a verbatim what he sent me. A gap was created when Paul Playden left as producer after completing the first two episodes and starting the filming on the next two. 
They shut down for two weeks as Cy Shermack tried to settle in as the new producer. They played catch-up to the third and fourth episodes, but the two-week hiatus was going to catch up with them, and it did after The Vampire aired. And so they just went ahead and took that time. And uh, and I don't think there's there, if there's any gaps ever since. But, man, Mark, Mark is just... There's so much knowledge contained. I think the reason his hair is so big is actually there's just more room for his brain to expand. Maybe his head's bigger, but he has to grow the hair out to sort of... Hey, that's that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Um, Hi, folks. If, for those of you who haven't seen either my profiles on Facebook or the the, few, the little short I did with James Wright, yeah, I am super bald. So, anywho, <laughs> but maybe no. What what, what a uh, just a gosh darn treasure Mark is to this coal shack, coal shack. I don't know if I'll ever get used to saying that, James, <laughs> but I, I'm gonna try. Um, uh, legacy. And, and, and the fact that we know him in this, this Kolchak world, but you know, this is probably replicated in Colombo. Um, this is replicated in Mark Twain. This is replicated now soon to be in Poe and it's replicated in his vampire lectures. So, um, man, just amazing. So, so glad we've got Mark and, uh, the rest of us out there should be thanking our lucky stars that he is so uh, forthcoming and, and willing to give us information. You know, speaking of stars, let's get into the cast and the stars of this episode. I felt that one coming, man. I felt it. <laughs> I felt it. In, in, in addition to feeling it, I'm going to read it. That is going to be, and that's where the zombie's going to be. And that's where I'm going to be. Wait for me! No! Darren McGavin as Carl Kolchak. Thank you, James. Simon Oakland as Tony Vincenzo. Dick Gautier as Mel Tarter. Hey, all right, baby, I'm going to have another hit. Sorry, I love Mel. <laughs> Henry Jones as Captain Julian Wells. Henry Jones? That's sort of what he does in something else. Nita Talbot as Paula Griffin. Eric Braden as Bernhardt Steiglitz. Jack Grenage as Ron Updike or Jack Greenage. We'll have to figure out how he says that. And he is alive. We need Jack to talk to us. Just saying. Ruth McDevitt as Edith Cowles. Those, uh, what is it? Those crosswords aren't going to write themselves. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> From Tony. Uh, Jackie Russell as Wendy. Lewis Charles as George Levitt. Bob Hastings as Hallam. Barry Cahill as Dr. Alan Ross, Dort Clark as Gribbs, Heath Jobs as the Radio Man, Jimmy Hawkins as Jay Remy. And the rest of the cast, Ray Ballard as Bernie Efron, Lynn Guild as Lois Prysock, Bob Harks as Bartender, Stephen Marlowe as a Sailor, and Leota Richards as a Ship Passenger. This episode was, of course, directed by Alan Barron, produced by Cy Shermack, Written by David Chase and Paul Playton, who you will know that he was let go as the producer after the zombie episode. And I believe this uh, script had the date of like August 5th on it originally. Uh, I may I may be wrong on that. Uh, August, yeah, August 5th, 1974. So this was sort of a workshop script. It was originally something else, and I guess they didn't use it. Or I think, that, did they want it as the third movie possibly? And and eventually workshopped it into this, uh, but used his work. And, of course, this is based off the novel 
by one Jeff Ross. And uh, with that. Hey, hey, are we to assume that Playden was let go as in was fired or was let go out of his contract to go do something else? Do we have any idea about that? We, uh, I have no idea. I have no All idea. Right. Somebody, somebody out there in Kolshak land. You know who the somebody um, is. I, look, he's got a book to write. So let's <laughs> leave him alone. Let's leave him alone. <laughs> or at least, uh, Richard, if you're out there listening, help us out, bro. Do you want to get into the other works by cast and crew? Yeah. Dick Gutier was in Get Smart, Get Smart Again, and Freddy's Nightmares, and was a voice actor in The New Adventures of Johnny Quest, G.I. Joe as Serpenter. Then start by deciding where you want to be buried. There can be no negotiation, you insolent microbe, your emperor and master. Transformers is Rodimus Prime and Hot Rod, along with many others. DuckTales, The Smurfs, a pup named Scooby-Doo, Batman, the animated series, The Addams Family, Cow and Chicken, and Captain Planet. Henry Jones was in Tales of Tomorrow, 1957's 310 to Yuma, Vertigo, three episodes of Playhouse 90, The Twilight Zone Season 1, episode Mr. Beavis, he played Jay Hardy Hempstead, my dear Beavis, I've driven a chariot with 11 horses. I'm the guy responsible for Ben-Hur winning. And the old Rickenbacker went out with the old Beavis. You're a different person now. No more bow ties, no more zither music, no more Christmas carolers in the office. Well, the latter idiosyncrasy met with some approval from the organization. Shall we, Mr. Beavis? Alfred Hitchcock presents Lost in Space, Project X, The Outsider, Night Gallery, Magnum P.I., the film Dick Tracy, and the horror film Arachnophobia. Nita Talbot was in Tales of Tomorrow. Mike Cammer with Darren McGavin. Alfred Hitchcock presents Frightmare, Puppet Master 2, Amityville 1992, and the 90s Spider-Man, the animated series. Eric Braden was in Escape from Planet of the Apes, Project UFO, Piranha, The Aliens Are Coming, The Ambulance, Titanic, and he is most well known for his 3,500 plus episodes in The Young and the Restless. Lewis Charles was in Tales of Tomorrow, Playhouse 90, and Mike Hammer. Bob Hastings was in Captain Video and his Video Rangers, the Season 4 Twilight Zone episode, I Dream of Genius Sam, the actual television show, I Dream of Genie. All in the Family, and he was a voice actor in Casper the Friendly Ghost, various cartoons in the 60s and 70s as the voice of Superboy and Clark Kent, the new Scooby-Doo movies, Fred Flintstone and Friends, the 77 Amazing Spider-Man series, and he would voice Commissioner Jim Gordon throughout the 90s and 2000s in a dozen of different shows, movies, and video games throughout the Batman animated series and Static Shock and all that. Mr. Mason, you must be psychic. We were just talking about you. Come in, come in. Another tip on a case? Um, just really recognizable, especially to people who were born, you know, uh, I was born in 93, especially recognizable to my generation. Dork Clark was in Mike Cameron with Darren McGavin, The Monsters, The Invaders, Night Gallery, and David Bowie's The Man Who Fell to Earth. Heath Jobs was in Max Headroom and The Borrower. Ray Ballard was in Night Gallery, 1973's horror movie. Yeah, that's, that's just a bunch of S's. 
Mr. Merlin, the 1980s Twilight Zone, and 86's Vamp. Wingild was Mrs. Farnsworth. In the season one Twilight Zone episode, The Monsters Are Due on Mabel Street, a classic. Well, he was just going over to the next block to see if the power was on. Charlie, you killed him. He's dead. And lastly, Bob Harks was in Bullet, Night Gallery, The Night Strangler. Familiar there. Young Frankenstein, five episodes of The Night Stalker. The Night That Panicked America, Airport 77 with Darren McGavin, The Swarm, War Games, Scarface, Gremlins, Die Hard, Forrest Gump, and Roswell with Twin Peaks' Kyle McLaughlin. Carl, won't you lead us into the story summary there? Admittedly, the story you're about to read is bizarre, incredible. Those of you who wish to avoid being unsettled, who wish to avoid thinking, will label it insane. And though you, the reader, would find these facts almost impossible to substantiate, that does not change their nature. Facts they are. I know. I saw them happen. Yellowstone County, Montana, December 11th. Horrified local authorities investigated the gruesome deaths of four area residents, the Rockwell family, mother, father, and two children. All had been discovered strewn around their isolated farm, their bodies mutilated. An official coroner's report stated they had been dead three days, cause of death attacked by wolves. Fact. The last sighting of a wolf in Yellowstone County occurred in 1948. Fact. In the entire history of this continent, there has never been one documented case of attack by wolves on a human being. That year, Chicago was having one of its worst winters in history. But Christmas was merry. Our office even had a party, the first since Lindbergh soloed the Atlantic. The festivities were the idea of Edith Cowles, our office mother and founder of my favorite riddle column. The Asian flu had decimated our staff, but the party had accomplished its end, that of bidding a fond adieu and bon voyage to Tony Vincenzo, who was finally taking a long-awaited vacation aboard the cruise ship Hanover. He wasn't paying for the cruise, of course. He had wangled it as his own feature story, and the New York office was picking up the tab. All right, and I think with that, we will get into the uh, story summary. Story summary. At an INS Christmas party, Tony loses his chance to go on a swinging singles cruise, and Carl goes instead. Problem is, a survivor of a werewolf attack in Greenland is on board and Carl has a new story focus. Luckily, there is a failed seminary student on board and a shifty purser who gets Carl the equipment he needs to make silver bullets or somehow magically shotgun pellets. Carl gets his man, slash wolf, by throwing him off the top deck into the ocean, and who knows how many dead there were in the end. Actually, we do know that because we finally listened to what Carl said at the end, and I believe it was out of 11 crewmen and four passengers, um, then they were, they supposedly were all switched, they were all carted off to Switzerland for special treatments, correct? Yes, I believe that that, that is it. Um, all right. Where did he repaint it, huh? On the inside? I mean, that's where the windows are taped. On the inside. <laughs> You're one of the fellows who likes to hear himself talk, ain't you? Very, very good uh, episode. Where do you want to start with this bad boy and talking about it? Start with uh, Carl's opening narration where he says there's never been a, a wolf attack on the continent of 
didn't. I thought that was yeah. A, did did you do your due diligence on that one and find out if he was actually correct or not? Well, so anytime I looked up Wolf Attack, see that's the hard part. It's finding stuff yeah. like I need to go get me some encyclopedia, some of that the uh, the that nineteen sixty nine uh, encyclopedia they had. Uh, the ones that uh, everybody used to have in their home, you know, those nice little neat ones. Mm-hmm. I need to get a set of those. But no, I didn't look into that. I thought that was an interesting line. Um, but they have a they're having a festive Christmas party here, you know. Tony's wearing a fake beard and like a Panama looking hat. It's awesome. He's in a rare form. They're singing Deck the Halls and uh <laughs> Tony's luck turns pretty sour there as <laughs> so we see his exchange on the phone. Well, yeah, and Carl gets the phone call first. And then, oh, yeah. you know, I love that that he just screams at everybody. Why don't you shut up? I can't hear. Shut up. And, uh, you know, then finally gets Tony in there on the phone. And, and of course, you, uh, um, mim- not mimicked, but you had a little acting scene of your own there with your phone call as, as Tony Vincenzo. Yeah, if I leave that in, who knows how bad that's going to be in post. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> However you want to do it. Yeah, so to- Tony gets the news, I guess, that the big boys are coming to um, do an audit. And, and, and Carl, of course, you know, jokes with him. Carl's joking, but Tony, you know, knows it's all serious. It's like, well, Tony, all the books are in order, aren't they? And of course, Tony's <laughs> just freaking out and he's yelling at him. It's like, why are they coming now? Don't, doesn't anybody care that I haven't been on a vacation in five years? You know, essentially click. And yeah. so then he wants to get Ron to do the story. And Ron, of course, is like, Ron, you, you, you can do this story, right? And, no, I'm going home. And, uh, you know, goes through his little thing about, what, well, Ron, what about all the vitamin C and everything else you take? That's what's making me sick. Yeah, that's partly responsible. <laughs> yeah. Queasy stomach or something the other day. Me? Yeah. No, 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 never, never. How come you never get sick, Hulk Jack? I must live right, sir. Ron! Hey, you look pretty good, Ron. How do you feel? What's this? My column. I'd like you to look it over so I can get out of here. At 10 o'clock in the morning? Where are you going? The doctor. You don't mind. I think I'm getting sick. Well, how about all those megavitamins you've been taking? And the, the massive doses of vitamin C? They're making me sick. How would one week all paid expense cruise on the Hanover make you feel? Worse. I have a bad time with seasickness. Everything makes you sick, doesn't it? You're seasick, air sick, don't drive your car more than 30 miles an hour. You know, a reporter has to travel, Ron. Please, I would like to go to the doctor. Go, go. Only don't let him put you in a wheelchair. You'll probably start bleeding from the ears. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to say anything more about that? No, I just thought that was great. And Kolchak also counts down. He knows that when Tony's coming out and yelling, he counts down. And he counts him down and sent, you know, right when he's walking out. Um, right. But I don't, why, why do you think Ron didn't take the vacation? Is he just... I think Ron, Ron was... Well, it wouldn't work in the show, but, but Ron is... He gets seasick. That was one oh, of the things yeah. he said. That was... And, yeah. and he, and you know... It, it, you need that comic relief of, oh yeah. you know, Tony trying to go to somebody else and then just but, failing because Ron's. And before that, he talks. Cole Shanks like, oh, I ne- I've never gotten a book. Uh, it's it's because <laughs> I live right. He says he lives. <laughs> I don't know, dude. You know what I forgot to mention? What is this? Is all because of people getting the swine flu. So this is this is topical here with, and maybe you've got this somewhere else, but this is 1974, and the swine flu was really big then. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but on my Facebook, I shared that picture of my parents at a dinner party in 74, and all of them have masks, surgical masks oh, on I their faces. No, I didn't see that. 
Yeah. And, and this, this is, I shared that just before all the, the stuff hit the fan with COVID and oh. you know, I just happened to be going through old photographs and I found this thing and I'm like, what the heck is this? They were at a dinner party of a dentist that they knew and he had all the surgical, surgical masks. So they just wear them and they're just laughing and, you know, showing yeah. whatever it is. But, uh, but yeah, this, this is, that's what they keep asking about everybody getting sick or not. So how funny is not funny, but how, um, amazing is this with this sort of, you know, pandemic of that time and, and this and what we have going on right now. Yeah. It's like a little time capsule that's sort of repeating itself here. Uh, mm-hmm. but Tony even t- says, oh, you get, you get land sick, air sick and seasick and you don't drive more than 30 miles an hour and. And all this stuff. Don't like said, don't let them put you in a wheelchair. Or you'll start bleeding from the ears as he's walking out. <laughs> that was brutal, man. Oh that man, was so brutal. It, talk about people you don't want to get dressed down by. Simon Oakland in any character would probably be be top of that. It's like Tony. Tony seems to be a nice guy for a little bit, and then Ron's just sets him off. I mean, he just, just by like, just being just himself. Get out of here, Ron. <laughs> just get so mad at him. I love it. And it, it's funny, like Kolchak has to take him to the edge to get, like, he has to, like, you know, be be put in, put in like prison for murder. But like Ron talks about being sick, and it just, I don't know, that's a hilarious dynamic. Um, but uh, so he gives Kolchak his his tickets and stuff, and then he gives him this what he said, here's your spending money, and Kolchak's like spending money, and I yeah. don't think he hears anything. The rest he's in there counting the money. We cut back to Darren McGavin just flipping th- flipping through the twenties, you know. Right. Uh, and I thought that was great. Well, yeah. And he says, you know, I want, I want real stories on this and you know, you got to write this and you got to write that. What am I telling you for? You're a reporter. You can figure it out. You're a professional. You know, Tony is so mad. He's so, so mad. He, he yells at poor miss, uh, <laughs> poor miss cow. <laughs> yeah. It's like those crosswords aren't going to write themselves and are they're still gonna, having the party. Yeah. Are we going to get any riddle columns today? <laughs> there you go. The riddles. Yes. yes. Oh my goodness, it's it's hilarious. And then we get, the, of course, we get the uh, the great shot. If you look at the, at the front, as I fiddle with this book, anyway, you know what I'm going to hold up. Oh yeah, there there he is get right that, on the side. Get that great the, shot on. Uh, I don't know if you read this book. Not stalking. Uh, 20th anniversary. Culture companion. Don't know who wrote that, but uh, I'm sure they're a pretty smart person. Um, so you have that and. Colshack, he's just, it's just funny to me. He's always like talk, like people, you know, people now talk on their cell phones, but imagine people then watching people talking to recorders, just walking by him, just sitting on the dock. But now it's like a non-issue, like people. Dude, it was, it was, it was completely commonplace back then. Was it really? No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, maybe someone's going to call me out (laughs) and tell me, no, Robert, it wasn't. But my dad had, um, and I don't even know if my dad bought the camera, the little uh, sort of Instamatic style that Carl has and the recorder yeah, the Raleigh because of Kolshak, but my yeah. dad had both of those and I do, we do still have those and oh, really? uh, but no, it, it was not unusual for someone just to be talking on a um, tape deck yeah. and, you know, and, and recording their thoughts. And Kolshak comes in his room, gets everything set up and uh, he meets his, uh, <laughs> his roommate who <laughs> Mel Tartar. Who already sets him off, sort of sets Carl, rubs him the wrong way by calling, instead of calling it the uh, the fourth estate, he calls it the uh, fifth column. Fifth column. <laughs> and then Carl, oh man, I don't, sorry, this is, this podcast just could be me laughing, because this, I really enjoyed this episode, it was so funny. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of humor, I think, and 
and it's an episode that doesn't have, you know, you'd think it, I would have bumped it because I think I've already used this rationale. Oh, there wasn't as much Tony, so I bumped one of the episodes. This has even less Tony than any of the episodes we've seen, but it war- But I think Gutierre sort of takes this. Uh, he picks Gutierre. Gutierre, sorry. Um, sorry. I, I left the R on the end. Uh, you'll forgive me this time, won't you? Yes. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. that he, he His comic relief is great. This people walking in, the fact that Carl has to share a room with him is perfect. Yeah, I mean, I guess they, they do those kind of things, especially if it's sort of a sing, uh, a singles cruise, is they're going to put you in with somebody that's there. And and for entering the Fifth Dimension, the Twilight Zone podcast that I that I do, I did talk about the fifth column. And yeah. the, the fifth column was sort of a Nazi spy ring. It actually came out of France. Mm-hmm. And it was France's uh, connection with some, um, whatever you want to call them, some nationalistic um, rulers and how they were going to be part of this other wave of people to help take over Germany. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I love that they use that, that reference there. And then of course they make a mistake later when it comes to uh, Talbot again is <laughs> Dick Gaudier's character, you know, says it wrong again. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, but this is also uh, a great thing for me because I was so obsessed for so long with how he said his name you know, prior to knowing that Jeff Smith said it differently than what Darren McAvin says it, but they ask him, you know, how do you spell that? You know, and he's like, C and a K both. And, uh, yeah. so I really, really enjoyed that little interchange that they had. And not to mention the fact that Mel Tartar, Dick Godier's character called taking a swig of the beer, a hit. Now <laughs> I've only known that to ever be represented by someone taking a hit of marijuana. Yeah, but one of those this have a deal where you, yeah. it could be the same thing. If you take a hit, you take like a shot, um, you know, of, of alcohol. Maybe that's the, the same reference. Yeah, but but his lines are always uh, Gutierrez's lines are always spot on. The uh, he's for, you know there's forty percent divorced, fifty percent deceased, and ten percent percent delightful. Delightful. That's what we want, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he brings in you know this girl. And here's what Rich was going back to him. Just he's so non non interested. She's in a bathing suit, uh, and he's just like looking up. You know, he's like, oh my gosh, I've got to put up with this crap as she's spinning around. And then they, you know, they're talking about a. <laughs> he even calls the line about dropping the atomic bomb, where he's telling that line to her, sort of giving the pickup line. And Carl mumbles the 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 punch line right before she does. You know, saying yeah, that, because that's where they drop the atomic bomb, bikini. That's why I'm saying that. You know, um, and then <laughs> the. I, I love like the 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 euphemisms I guess where they're like, yeah man, you know you need to get someone who turns your train around and then Carl's like, turn my train around. Oh. Yeah, yeah, he has no idea what he's talking about because <laughs> it's a, the the hip seventies you know swinger lingo. Yeah, which which again here's that that undertone that we get every episode the the swinger undertone that's like so prominent. See. No baloney you're, this time, but you're right about that for sure. And I mean, it's just obvious that this is happening in this episode. But yeah, you're absolutely right. There's the 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 sexual undertone of the Night Stalker. And then we uh, right before that commercial break, we see the um, the man bandaging up the wounds as uh, George is there. I'll help you any way you can. He shoes him away, and uh, then we see the first attack there right before the commercial mm-hmm. break. And you know, something about this cruise isn't quite right. Which, again, isn't the first one that happens, um, just him throwing somebody off the 
the uh, <laughs> the ship. I mean, wait a minute. <laughs> so yeah, so for those of you who have an image of what the werewolf does, the werewolf likes to and and classic um, movies about the werewolf, they seem to want to rip and bite and you know eat and to a certain extent their victims. But in this particular case, he's still wearing his suit, which I love <laughs> when he's <laughs> running around attacking people. And uh, at least he still has a dress shirt and dress pants. But, yeah, he just picks that chick up and throws her off the, the, the deck. And, you know, talking about it, it, says it gives the number of passengers. How did they get that guy back? Because <laughs> he, he had to be counted out of there was a he gave the exact number of people attacked. And the, the guy who just flies overboard some. I don't know. And and maybe that's maybe he was he I don't know. I don't know. There's maybe something there. Yeah, I think we're just we're just led to assume that whatever he's gathered in the end is his reporting uh skills uh, his wrapping everything up for us. And as we come back from commercial break, Kolshak meets his uh his counter here, the uh t- that talkative woman who uh becomes his uh quote unquote love interest that is really not his love interest that he sort of uses. Yeah, she's not even a love interest. She's just she's just a, a vehicle for Carl to try to get his way. She takes the place of Gordy the Ghoul, you know, or, or somebody yeah. else to, for him to be able to get his information from. Or in in the first you know movie, um, Gail, who actually is the one who gave him the books on the vampire, and she's yeah. fulfilling this role eventually as being the person who he asks about werewolves. Yeah, which also she sort of and, and the, we you know she reminds me a lot of myself talking about movies a lot because I have a whole yeah. movie segment in this podcast. She talks about too hot to handle, brings it up. Uh, <laughs> she brings up different stuff, and then we have another attack, and there's sort of this spacey music, and we get the, another werewolf attack that I thought was, uh, you know, the werewolf's attacks are uh, I don't know they just don't make sense sometimes, or just the way they shoot them, they're like what. Which, yeah. with the vampire, the shot where she, like, you know, attacks him, you know, the first guy she attacks, like, jumps on him, and, I mean, it's, that's so scary. And this one's sort of like, and Mark even mentions it in his book, he's talking uh, talking about the makeup, and, and we could talk about that, you know, talking about an American wolf, werewolf in London, the howling, uh, the foxes, the fox, uh, foxes werewolf series of all the different, you know, great uh, makeup work that's done. And this one just sort of falls flat, doesn't look as good. You know, I mean, it's it really wasn't that much different from my memory of Lon Chaney Jr., you know, being in the original werewolf, even though you had more close-ups of the werewolf. And this, it's always kind of shot from a distance. You don't yeah. really see that much. But it still kind of just looks like that. It's just the, you know, the, the super hairy face with fangs and claws. and Which... You know, hairy hands. That yeah, to me, it sort of looked like the, maybe mothballs or, or not mothballs. I think Mark makes a reference to mothballs, but I, like cotton balls or something. Uh, it, it sort of muddles out the face a little bit too much. Whereas I think if they'd actually used hair or something, I don't know. Maybe it's the application, and and it depends on what oh. you're watching it on too. I think we're watching in high definition, whereas maybe you wouldn't have noticed this back. You know, true. In seventy. True. Yeah, and and, and these days still, I pretty much watch all of these on my phone. So, yeah, I know that makes it difficult, especially when you've got dark scenes. Uh, yeah. It's never quite as good as that. But So, Cole Shack's yeah, well, I, yeah. I just want to say, I mean, I, I like Nita Talbot in there quite a bit. I love her little movie references. And she she's quite the, um, you know, eventually ends up being 
you know, quite a good sparring partner, so to speak, with Carl. She yes. is able to um, detect his BS when he when he says it, and she knows these movies, and he tries to like change the way a movie happens just to get her to do something for him. <laughs> yeah, you know, and she she's way too smart for that. But then I love that, um, you know, she eventually says something about, well, you're not going to trust a couple Neapolitans. My goodness. When she's talking about the Italian uh, maitre d's or stewards who are on the ship. And so I thought she she was a wonderful character. Yeah. And that happens uh, that happens after, you know, Carl hears the bell, leaves her and goes to check on. Uh, uh, says he was on the he was on the Yorktown in 44 with a captain, but it actually went down in 42. Claims to be the captain's son. Does that whole rigmarole? <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. He's and he go ahead, sorry. Because he about gives his name. I'm Carl K, K- and then uh, what was the captain's last name? I'm Carl K, K- we, we, Wales. Yes, yes, yes. And and does that and I. I haven't seen Dad very much lately, and uh, <laughs> and 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 you know then that then the thing you talked about where he talks about uh, it's top priority triple A we got to get to. To, I love to the equipment scene. and and talks about across yeah. the across the Pacific, uh, and about how they had to help the men, you know, do this. And she said, "No, no, that's not right. I've seen this thing eight times." <laughs> oh no, 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 Carl. I, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, the ship has rules. Listen, Paula, you remember? Do you remember across the Pacific? With Humphrey Bogart and Mary Astor. Yeah, they were on a freighter. Right. Sidney Greenstreet and Benson Fong played the two Axis spy. Exactly. Now, do you remember the scene in which Mary Astor created a diversion so that Bogie could go into Benson Fong's cabin and steal the codes? That never happened in Across the Pacific. Oh, sure it did. Sure, sure. It was one of the most exciting parts. Carl, I've seen it at least eight times on TV. Oh, well, they must have cut that, that part on the television then. That's all. It never happened, Carl. It didn't? No. Is this that important to you? Oh, very. Okay, but next time, don't try to con me. Just lay it on me. Uh, so she. I mean, I could see, I could see either one of us in a movie that we did know about, and yeah. someone trying to convince us to do something, and the whole time just going, "No, you're wrong. What's wrong with you? You're completely wrong about that." But also at the same time, she's smart enough to realize he's trying to manipulate the situation. I would probably just be so, in, in, you know, incensed, like, no, dude, you're wrong. Just shut up. You're not right. What are you talking about? And then, you know, you realize he's trying to play you. Yeah. Now, what I thought was kind of cool, though, was how he interrupted um, her when she was dancing. And yes. another dancing scene, though, if you remember it, is when Dick Godier is dancing with his um, ex-wife, who is now his girlfriend, <laughs> when he goes on these trips. And you see the way they were moving, man. I mean, he had that jacket that looked like Rodney Dangerfield from Caddyshack, <laughs> and, and and they were just doing those those cool little moves. And oh man, I love that. Just absolutely love it. But then Carl, you know, cuts in on that one guy, and he yeah. already has a line prepared. Yeah, you know the uh, the woman's asking about you from the convention. What convention? I don't know. The one you already went to. Yeah, here go. And find you know, was able to get to, him to leave. Yeah. Here's the two dollars for the drink, and he gets yeah him, yeah he's well, I'm in for a mai tai or whatever it was, and yeah. gets him to leave. So that was pretty cool. Then he you know acts like he's kind of smooth talking Nita, but ends up you know really um, trying to get the information from her. Yeah. Say. So she does get him in the in the radio room. She acts like she drops a contact, which she really mm-hmm. did have contacts, I guess. Were contacts <laughs> a thing then in the 70s? I guess they had to be if they're. Oh yeah, and and drop him because they were all hard lenses. 
Oh, so yeah, yeah. dropping him was very, very common. And uh, I do love that the fact, being a contact wearer myself, um, I've tried hard lenses. Oh, horrible. <laughs> um, soft lenses is what I use. But the fact that when she found it, she, she immediately ran to the restroom. Yeah. to kind of clean it and put it in. I'm like, okay, well, there's some realism there. Because you see sometimes people who, like, say they find it then just stick it in their eye. Dude, yeah. no way. You will be screaming in, in, in <laughs> agony when all those little particles get into your eye. So go ahead. No, that that's all I was going to say. And, of course, Kolshak jots some stuff down from the uh, radio transmissions uh, to right. try to gather more info, being the good reporter that he is. And, again, more werewolf attacks. And he he's leaping from... Man, what is the deal with these like Spring Hill Jack like jumping around, leaping from balconies? Like, <laughs> I guess this is it's just this element of giving you the superhuman. But it's yeah. like this dude must have been the master of parkour, <laughs> you know? Him and, and the and Ripper. One of those, yeah, one of those scenes where he leaps and jumps down, it looks like about a ten to twelve foot what? drop. Yeah, it's like two and, stories. And you don't see like. you don't see the guy land on. Um, you know, a uh, a mattress. You don't see. It just looks like the dude literally jumped off and lands. Like, what superhuman stunt man was that? It, it, anyway, so it must have been a really good stunt if they were able to cut that, or the dude really did it, which is crazy. I mean, that is very high up to try yes. to take a fall like that. So, bravo to the stunts here. Uh, have you ever? There's a YouTube channel who there's stunt coordinators and they the VFX artists who watch like bad and good CGI and bad and good stunts. I would love to have one of them on. Just to, they've got a huge like it's like millions of people who follow the channel. I'd love to have that, somebody on to talk. Would be fun to talk yeah. about the stunts and Colt Shack and go over some of the the good and the bad. You know, because there's Wait some really there's... amazing stunts and there's are there. What you don't think there's amazing sense? No, there there are some good ones. I, excuse me. I think stuff with I I like some of the realistic looking tussles that they had with the vampire and with the Ripper and yeah and all those people. So I really liked those. And uh, but no, there are other ones I'm still referencing something else in the oh, future no. that I think is just horrible. But and, anyway, and of course, Colchak gets the lady back to his room and. Uh, and she loses another contract. And he oh, so you're, you're trying to like set up kind of a bow chicka wow wow, and it doesn't happen. Just just as Richard Haddam says, Kolchak is asexual, and he and he just wants to get the story and solve the the caper. And he runs out, and he uh, he witnesses the uh, another werewolf attack. Uh, was it the same one that was going on as he hears commotion? Uh, and he gets man, he gets pictures, and he gets like gets pushed back, which I thought. Oh, he got pushed down, but he's like knocked out cold. <laughs> um, but yeah, they didn't really sell that that great, but it sets up um, a good scene, which is yes. him to be in the room. Now all of a sudden, the the werewolf guy is is it's odd. He's seeking medical treatment, and and Bradley, at this point, do you feel like he, because he says some things that would indicate otherwise? Do you feel like he knows that he is a were, um a werewolf? I, man, he has like he talks about the dreams and wanting to put away the dreams, but as soon as he gets the stuff, the 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 stuff he wants, what did he want? The narcotics he wants to help his nightmares. He chains himself up, so it's like, bro, you know. Well, but I think I think that happens later though. I think when he's in, I could be getting the sequence wrong, but when he's in the infirmary, he's telling the guy that he blacks out and he has no idea what happens. Now he could be just lying. Yeah. 
and and or he could be saying it legitimately that he blacks out and doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, I saw on a couple comments from people on the the MeTV site when they were talking about the episode, and they're like, "Why is this dude going on yeah. to a cruise ship? You know, doesn't he know he's going to be killing all these people? And maybe he did know, but he was there." I mean, if he was there in Greenland when the attack happened, he knew what he got bit by, or he knew he got bit. Now, if no one survived, maybe he doesn't know yet that he will eventually turn into a werewolf. You know, the, the, the common werewolf trope. But anyway, so I guess it's a little debatable on what he knows and when he knows yeah. it, but you're 100% right, is he chains himself up uh, to no avail. Yeah, and that's at the end of this little, uh, this this before the next commercial break, he does that. And you know something else that was brought up in the one of the Coal Shack sites uh, was by Jeff Lezenick, which I hope I got your, your last name right there, Jeff. He brought up a similarity in the music in the Star Trek episode Spectre of the Gun. between this episode the werewolf and i have to say that i'm i'm i agree with him there is definitely more than a passing similarity here um so i just we, you know we may need, may need to ask mark about that to see if he has any information on that but uh, Kolshak's waking up. He's a little groggy. He goes to the captain. Of course, the captain t- tells him, stop stop calling yourself my son. <laughs> no, to, to which Kolshak replies that he thought he could pass for with the resemblance, you know, Kolshak being, uh, <laughs> being, being Kolshak there. Uh, and, and oh, man, I love, now this is probably my favorite part of the whole episode where Kolshak, like, I'm going to, let me tell you about the First Amendment and what I have the rights as the press. And then, and then of course, the captain like one ups him talking about maritime law, about the captain's right during crisis. Of course, Kolchak's going to take the one phrase, "Oh, so you would call it a crisis and run with it." Uh, But I love the scene of like, because you don't see, you don't often see Kolchak get one upped verbally when he's talking. I guess, Uh, and and here's definitely. Definitely a scene where he does. Mr. Major Captain Wells, I happen to be a reporter for the Independent News Service. News, sir. That's the press. You do know about the First Amendment, the freedom of the press? I'm fully aware of all the articles of the Constitution of the United States, Mr. Kolchak. Splendid. Are you fully aware of the articles of the Maritime Code? Article 43. The captain of the vessel shall have full and sole authority over all passengers and crew therein, and shall, in the event of a crisis, take any means he deems necessary to ensure that everyone aboard act in compliance with the best interests of the vessel. Look, a, a crisis. You did say crisis. Sir. That means you agree that there was something very strange aboard this boat. Ship. A boat, ship, whatever. Yeah, I mean, in this, you know, the captain takes the place of the police captains. Um, that we typically yeah. see in the, in the the TV series, and went in the TV movies, and and I think they you know d- did a really good job with this police captain. Of course, it almost felt a little pushed somewhere down the road when Carl did you know what we are calling sort of like Night Stalker science or whatever it is, 
And he says, you are, sir, to be able to equip everyone on board with the following. Yeah. You know, and blah, 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 and kind of does that. I guess that's a, maybe another scene down the road um, when he brings that up, I think. Yeah. Uh, it isn't the same scene that he's doing. It did Now, is that when Carl got the, the buttons off of the uh, captain's uh, dress uniform, or was that later? What happens is, so that's, they, they meet and that's, and they have the conversation, uh, you know, he cra- even corrects Carl, Carl calls it a boat and he said, it's actually a ship and he's like, ship, right. boat, whatever. Let me, ship, boat, whatever. Sorry. Um, but anyway, he talks about, I can put a man in irons if I want to, uh, put a man in irons, chains and marlin spikes. And then Kolchak's like, you you can do that. And he's walking off with the guy. Um, right. And he wants to, you know, take a picture of his findings, but his film is gone when he gets his camera back later on. And, and of course, we see later they have developed this, and they're looking at it. But that's when he speaks to the woman. Uh, she she had talked, oh, I heard somebody speak Italian, and I heard the mention of a of a lopo, which is a wolf. And that's right. when it clicks, and they talk about, oh, you know, Carl's like, oh, you know about the legends of, you know. And she's like, the legends? Like Oedipus? Which Oedipus <laughs> is the... <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, which Oedipus is, uh, when most people know what Oedipus is, we won't get into that here. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, I mean, it is the classic Greek story of the um, uh, tragic hero, you know, who we, we want Oedipus to, to win, but he has this tragic flaw. And his yeah. tragic flaw is that he is obsessed with his, his mom, and then he and he wants to kill his father. So that's yeah. when you talk about someone having an Oedipus complex. Yeah, which I think uh in in the I think it was like predicted that he would or something, and he didn't know. Oh yeah. Yeah, but that's that's getting into it. If you want to listen to, there's a song the Doors do that uh you might want to watch, listen to. I started, I guess it was my sophomore year because of MTV, honestly. But my sophomore year is when I really started. No, I take it back. But that's when I really started liking the Doors. But yeah. it was even prior to that, Apocalypse Now, the song The End. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I had an AM radio station I listened to, and they would constantly play Riders on the Storm at night. Oh. And you know, and I learned who they were, and so anyway, dig that it. That is dig a it. big tangent, people. Sorry about that. But yeah. Bradley's a big Doors fan. I am a big. That's Doors where you can get your knowledge. And, uh, you know, speaking of doors, usually the hinges have silver and, and silver kills werewolves. And she talks about that, talks about the silver. Right. That's a terrible worst segue of the year right there. Um, so that's it's when, okay. It's, it's as good as Daryl's. Ooh, oh. Daryl's never, never going to listen. So who, who cares? <laughs> I'm going to clip it and send it to him. Just to be, <laughs> just to be a jerk. Um, be awesome. so before Did the, you know what Robert said about you? Oh my gosh. Clip that little part. I might even edit it and make it sound a little worse. Um, it's pretty bad right now. So Carl finds George after, you know, talking about silver and stuff, and he asks for a favor. And that's when we see the, the werewolf taking the narcotics, chaining himself up. He, ha- he had to know something was up, I would think. But, hey, what At that point, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Back from commercial, and we see, we see him come in with a smelting kit. Like, on a ship. Okay, I'm willing to <laughs> suspend disbelief there's a werewolf on the ship. But there's a smelting kit on the... Sh- Come on. You know what, though? I'm telling you, man. Maybe not necessarily to make bullets, but ships are floating cities. And yeah. if you have a, a problem... A smelting kit, though? Oh, yeah, dude. I'm, I, I think so. If you have a problem on a ship and you're out to sea, I mean, you've got to solve that. And you only have what you bring with you. 
So it would not surprise me that the mechanical crew and the repair crew have everything they need for any type of, you know, a situation. If they have to fabricate something to, to keep that thing afloat, they can do it. That's just, that's just my complete guess, but that's what I would say. And this is probably the, I don't know that this is my comedy gold point of the week. Cause it's not really, you'd have to be a history nerd or something to get it. But here Kolshek is like smelting bullets and like, you know, smelting metal. And then they come in and they're talking about, Hey, you go, Oh, you're making something for the party tonight. And they're, they're like, what party? He's like, I already got like a, a, a barbarian. I don't know if he says barbarian costume. I forgot. And then Kolshak's like, Oh, is this like a Visgoth trip or something? And the Visgoths, <laughs> yeah. of course, were the people who sacked Rome in like three mm-hmm. or five. Uh, be, uh, I don't know what the correct term is. Any, you know, nowadays with the, the, to be history accurate. Um, and then we have another euphemism here. Getting your chimes rung is the goal of this trip, not getting spliced. I mean, getting spliced is not the object of the screws. Getting your chimes rung is, you know. Oh, no, no, this has nothing to do with chimes ringing or, or splicing at all. Awesome. That's all I can say. <laughs> you know, I just, just, just want to ask somebody, hey, did you get your chimes rung, your chimes rung today? Yeah. You know, and, so. And that's when the, they drop the, the bomb. Yeah, that's when they drop the bomb on him that they're like, we're married. We did that scene yeah. for 10 years. Oh, good, man. Because, you know, Wendy and me made that marriage scene for about 10 years, and we're here to tell you it is nowhere. What? Let me absorb this slowly. You and Wendy were married. Yeah. I mean, to each other. Oh, right on. Yeah. We got divorced about three years ago, and we've been having a ball ever since. Well, I wish you all the luck in the world. Yeah. But but you know what's and now you're alluding to it, but I want to make sure you you understand what he means by spliced, right? Um, no. What what is he talking about? So it's to me the images you. I used to hear people say that they would cook their pot, so they would cook their drugs. So they would oh. take whatever it is they had and make it in liquid form. And a lot of times you have these images of people who just take a, something in a spoon and hang it over the top of a, a, a flame. But yeah. I, th- I think in this particular case, I think what he was saying, I, I could be wrong, but was your, your, you know, your goal is to hook up with, a, with someone of the opposite sex, not to get high. Oh, I think okay. that's kind of what it was. So I'm not sure, but that, that that's where I would go with it. Yeah. And so they've been divorced apparently for three years. And to quote him, They've been able to ball ever since. Uh, And then (laughs) you talk about more capable priests. He asked for a priest. And what do you think about the guy they got? Well, he's perfect. Well, he, he, he quit seminary. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the best guy that they got. And he really doesn't know that much. He quit seminary. He's there trying to to score with, uh, you know, people on the trip. And uh, yeah, I, I love the fact that, you know, they ask him, don't you have a prayer, you know, to bless something? He's like, not really. I, I do mostly weddings. And, uh, well, what about, he says, well, I have something about, you know, the dead. It's like, that's perfect. Let's do it. But at the end, when they send that guy packing, you know, um, and he wants to, like, go party and do whatever else, Kolshak's like, no, you're going to go to your room, lock the door, and for God's sakes, learn some more prayers. Yeah, cause and then as he's walking out, if you ever need another prayer, come down for drinky winkies and leave high silver. And I'm like, <laughs> very that, hip, man. It's a very hip dialogue. But the language is just great. So this, I think, and also I think Kolchak should have really married this woman because, like, she goes, 
No, okay. She it's goes. All, no, it's okay. Because she, you gave me a look, and people didn't see that. He gave me. He had a look like, what do you like? What the hell? I just laughed mostly. <laughs> but like, well, again, we we've called him asexual. So the fact that he's supposed to marry her now, I'm going, huh? Well, she like goes. She talks to Vincenzo and like gets that all straightened out. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. She just seems like she could keep his his stuff in order. You know, he's like they yeah. they absolutely could have been a working team together. I mean, I I would have watched a show with him and her because oh, yes. she she would have been yeah. excellent to do all the. She knew well. She knew so much. She was you know she knew at least it was mostly about movies, but she also just knew how to speak another language and you know recognize if an Italian was speaking and what he would say and. You know, all this. now it's, I'm assuming they're neo, they're Italians, right? Neapolitans, isn't that uh, Italian? Yeah. yeah, I believe so. Anyway, um, no, but, I, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, because she does all that, and then of course he's he she she even mentions that man he sounded sick, and then talked about man he sounds like he really needs a vacation. To which Carl gets the biggest laugh out of him. No, <laughs> no, you know, forget forget that. We don't talk about right, that. Right. Gets her to stay in the room. Gets George to come to go find him, Silver. Uh, and brings back like a he get, he goes and has that secret meeting in the hallway and he's like hey I need and the guy's like I need George's like you know I need you to bring my money and I'm gonna need to make sure and can't check I need to do it in private so I can make sure it's not fake I got a trunk full of uh, fake leers marks and pounds uh, just hanging out I'm not gonna you know I'm not putting up with this and he's like it's just U.S. dollars and I love the mad Carl is like man anytime he gets mad it's perfect in the episodes. Um, well, remember, he wanted them to unload um, uh, Dick Godier's luggage because he had that really nice suitcase. Yes. And when they walked in, he's like, is this yours? Do you want to sell it? It's like, it's not even ours. Who cares? I <laughs> <laughs> just wanted them to completely like get rid this dude is the the ultimate pack rat slash, uh, you know, a uh, little thief or something like that. Yeah. And, and it's go ahead. No. And he swindles Carl here pretty much. He. He he. Carl pays him, and he gets the he gets the the silver, the silver, and it's silver plated silver. And Carl's like, "This is not what I need. Where do I get the real silver?" And he's like, "Well, I'm not even going to get that." We never see Carl get his money back. So of course, Carl's got hmm. that that spending money. So I'm sure he he could be throwing it out left and right. But uh, hmm. then Carl goes and uh, goes to the captain, and he he starts cutting them off. You see, uh, sort of reminiscent of the first movie. You see his feet, his his shoes under the the curtain right there, where the, sure. where he's mm-hmm. in the closet cutting buttons, um, and th- and that was a fun exchange, fun exchange with the the captain, and that's where you talked about he they needed to be equipped with a uh, silver bullets blessed by the priest. It's, yeah. it's just a great scene, and, and the the interplay with that captain and Carl, um, I mean just just you know we always talk about scenes being tight or well put together or whatever you want to call it uh it was seamless and and really it's it's that thing the captain nita i mean i keep calling nita but anyway um uh, mel tartar the the purser all these different people on the 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 ship that he interacts with i mean it is all really good i mean i see this almost like it could be a play yeah. Um, you know, where it just goes from one person to the next and he has all these encounters and, you know, they could change the set really fast. And, 
and even the the kind of lame special effects that the that the werewolf does that, that would work in a play. You know, it's like Rrr! and he's jumping yeah. off and throwing people and doing whatever he does. So and and I love the the delayed gag of like they had a delayed gag here where the captain does all this. They shoot Carl out and he goes to change shirts. He goes to button his shirt. Of course, no buttons are there. Starts looking through all of them, no buttons there. And uh, we get the scene with the priest, like you talked about, and we get the very the uh, the another or the last uh, the last werewolf attack before this before this little uh, uh, before the commercial break where he breaks his chains, finishes off Carl, and we get a weird shot where he like attacks him and it pauses on the werewolf's face, like pause mid, and it just zooms into his face and like. What what was the design choice and like why would you pause the shot and then zoom in on his face like it just seemed very weird and some of the camera work I don't know I think I think that that whole zoom type of thing is you know trying to represent that you are right there in the the thick of the action and this thing is could be attacking you and yeah and well, I, I, I think in, if in it was simpler times that would probably work on a lot of people. Yeah, well, I got it if they would have kept the video rolling, but they paused on his face for a second. like, And then it zoomed in. Well, I, st- I don't know. Special effect. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But, but I mean, the- practical practical effect, but special, so to speak. So here we get the ending. So uh, Carl, we see him, and this is probably the most badass we've seen Carl, with a sh- <laughs> just walking around with a shotgun. I mean, come on. And Darren, Darren knows how to ha- hold that shotgun, too. Oh, yeah. yeah That's the kind does. of cool thing. So do you want to and, talk? You want to talk about well, that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, I've already mentioned that I'm a little curious about his um, bullets that he has that all of a sudden are in in shotgun shells, and so he would have had to have made individual little pellets, you know, to <laughs> to be put into that, which we don't see happen. So we have to let that slide. Yeah. And um, he does at least cool whatever it is that he's made in the uh the water after he takes it out of um you know being formed but anyway this uh, you just have to let that go but yeah he's i mean he's a man on a mission and he still has his uh i think he still has his recorder still has his um camera you know slung around his shoulder but he's out there walking around with that shotgun and he's got of course extra shells to shoot and i love the fact that when the first shot happens um, when the, the werewolf, almost a vampire, when the werewolf jumps down at him, you know, he just sort of reacts and doesn't aim and shoots and misses him. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of cool. I mean, that's almost realistic. I could see that yeah. happening. If you're startled, you just kind of shoot. So I love the fact they paid attention to that. But one thing that I mentioned to Bradley, I think before we started recording, is one of the bodies that he discovers as he walks, I think was probably Mel Tartar, um, based yeah. on the clothing we never see the face, but Kolshek at least pauses enough to look at him. And we know that Mel and some of the other people were always wanting to go out and party. Now, funny, it could have been the priest um, in training who said he wanted to go party everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, wasn't listening to Carl because he had to leave uh, Silver Bullet behind or whatever it was he said. Hio Silver. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think too too much about I I sort of assumed it was... Uh... Uh, male's character, male there. Uh, I didn't really think about it any different, but uh, the werewolf, he really gets his stunts in here too. He scales the ship's smokestack, you know, and he zip lines down and attacks the crew. 
Uh, What's he using to slide down that zip line that isn't slicing his fingers off (laughs) as he's doing it? Those are special rough hide werewolf fingers, I think, to be able to slide down that thing. Oh yeah, it, I mean it's. I mean you got to think. Well, werewolf, uh, werewolf evolution, man. You have have obviously looked into that, man. You look, look into that a little bit better. Well, are you saying that the werewolves that extend their lives, you know, further and passed on their bloodline, they now have developed the traits in the DNA to be able to slide zip lines? They're probably the ones that came out of like Belize and the you know the <laughs> South American jungles, not Greenland, but anyway, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, we do get realistic, even if the bullets aren't realistic, because I'm pretty sure he came out when he, we see him pulling that out after he finished. They're like in cylindrical form, long cylindrical form. Um, but we do see like a realistic, sh- he takes two shots, and of course he, he pops that barrel open, he reloads, you know. It's not one of those where you just shoot and shoot, you know, like the, you've seen the scenes. Oh, no, it's it's not like, uh, oh, I can't remember, you didn't really see, you haven't seen um, uh, The Walking Dead, right? Or you have? I've seen part. I've seen most of the first season, I believe. Okay, well, second season when they're on the farm, there's a there's a character on the name Herschel, and Herschel has a rifle that evidently has an endless supply of bullets. Endless. <laughs> I mean, it is. It became you know a, a big time joke because I, I think he fired off probably 40, 50 rounds. And, uh, you know, you rarely ever see him reload. If he does, it's like maybe a couple bullets and he just keeps on shooting, shooting, shooting. Anywho. But yeah, it's nice that Carl was actually popping that out and, and throwing in more shotgun shells. And they did something once though, I thought was interesting is I saw him wipe the top of the, the shell and yeah. I am not any kind of a marksman. I've only shot a shotgun once and loved it. Did a little skeet shooting, but you know, I saw him wipe that down so that very well could have been like a realistic thing. You don't want to have a wet top to that because that's where your spark is supposed to happen when the hammer comes down on top of that surface. So that was kind of neat. Just, a you know, something I picked up. Yeah. I mean, Carl, I, I think Darren McGavin knew his way around the shotgun. We might have to talk to Mark about that and see what he says. But this, I will go on record to saying this is probably the tensest uh, end scene yet that we've seen. Like as far as like maybe... I don't know. Maybe I'm, I, how about I say this? It's the, when Carl was in the most imminent danger, in my opinion, cause he is hanging off the side of a ship. And I mean, of course you could probably say the Ripper, but he, he really wasn't, it, I didn't ever feel like, Oh, the Ripper almost got him, even though it's close. But like here, I'm like, Oh dude, you're hanging off something. You're about to fall. Uh, and he fights him, gets back up, and sort of pull ends up getting him overboard uh, after that shot because he takes that he has that one last shot and he takes it and you know he shoots him in the chest uh, and the werewolf begins to attack one last time but then he sort of starts transforming back. You hear him, the human coming out in him and that's when Kolchak dangles over the ledge and sort of has that back and forth and is that is that what happened? I missed that. So you're saying that as they were wrestling there and he flipped Carl. Um, over the edge of the railing, Carl's holding on. That the the werewolf was actually starting to become human and more mortal. Yeah. And that's why Carl was able to grab him and then flip him over the rail. Yeah. I missed that completely. Good eye. Because he take because he gets that one shot in the chest and you see him as the werewolf sort of touch it, and you and I think it's the sound audio because you don't see any physical transformations, but the sound audio splices in the yell from the actual man and it's not wolf sounds anymore. So oh, there's really? sort of, 
Yeah, and then that's when hmm. Carl gets him over the side, and I think that's uh, that's when he finally gets 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 that settled. But the, and that's the the end of the episode, and uh, or almost the end of the episode. And and Carl, uh, why don't you uh, narrate us out on this? Of the eleven crewmen and four passengers attacked by the beast, it is not known how many actually died. The injured, well, they disappeared. Rumor has it to Switzerland to undergo treatment for a rare blood disease. The shipping line would only admit to having had a psychotic stowaway on board. The killer had fallen overboard after being cornered by ship's officers, so they said. All traces of Bernard Steiglitz vanished. His baggage was gone. His name could not be found in any passenger manifest. NATO officials claimed no such man had ever existed in their organization, and any attempt to publish a werewolf story about such a man would be met with the heaviest legal artillery. Vincenzo, always gun-shy, conveyed that message to me in no uncertain terms. So, here the story sits, for good, I guess. No one but you and I know the real truth, the real story. Carl calls his cab, and he's gone. What about an episode writing this week? What did you give this episode, Robert? Oh, man, I didn't, I mean, I didn't write anything down, but I, I, I'm going to give this 9.7 silver bullets that uh, should actually be shotgun shells. Nine? Did you say nine yeah. point seven? Nine point seven. Nine point seven. That's a I problem. loved this episode. I absolutely loved it. Okay. Uh, you know, I think this is definitely better than uh they have been the UFO episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to figure out the end scene was amazing. The 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 only thing that knocked it down was probably werewolf, but all the comedy scenes were good. <sighs> nine point two Give me 9.2 trains that turn around out of 10. <laughs> really turn your train around? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This episode did Brad turn my train around. King of the sexual around. innuendos. <laughs> now in his ratings, people. No, all ratings from now on will be sexual innuendos. I think 9. most of them 9.7 balonies. 9.7... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, but that does get us into uh, the segment that... Uh, that uh, is your repertoire, the uh, monsters, myths, each science and history. I doubt that could happen, but a team of scientists recently grew wheat from seeds that were found in the pyramids of Egypt. Those seeds were 4,000 years old. 4,000 years old. And uh, if you want me to, I'll, I'll get, a little, get into a little bit of the, the history here. A little bit of history on werewolves. Uh, you know, throughout history, they've been prominent in folklore. You know, talking about people raised from wolves like Romulus and Remus and uh, Mowgli. Uh, you know, the lost children sort of mythos. But oftentimes, I think they are symbols of evil, talking sort of linked to predators like wolves who need to be hidden away. And fictional wolves have become synonymous with deceitfulness and destruction. Uh, you know, just look at fairy tales, including the, the Big Bad Wolf. Uh, these stories also include accounts of human beings being transformed into wolves, most notably King Lycian in Greek mythology, who received the punishment for attempting to trick the god Zeus. And ever since the werewolf, uh, old English word were, meaning man, or lycanthrop, from the Greek word lycos, meaning wolf, has become embodied in mythology as a shapeshifter character. And more recently, the werewolf has been popularized as horror movie icons in film, TV literature, music, etc., including Cole Shack, the Night Stalker, we talked about. 
and it's uh and, and and it's also been established a lot of the characteristics. Uh, some authors have asserted the idea of werewolf supposedly vulnerability to silver, dating back to the Beast of Gavadon. Which, uh, if you want to look at a great uh, podcast about that, our pals at Astonishing Legends, who are going to be on uh, in two weeks, actually did a great podcast on the Beast of Gavadon, and they actually pronounced it right. Of a man-eating animal killed by the hunter Jean Chastel in the year 1767. However, the allegations of Chastel purportedly using a, a gun loaded with silver bullets are derived from a distorted detail based primarily on Henry Porat's history, Fidel de la Bite, um, which is a, a 1946 novel. So how, how did you like that, Robert? Was that a good pronunciation? I have no idea. That's French, man. Uh, I, I cannot do France. You don't do French? Uh, but anyway, it talks no, about really. it was this thing where it talked about him melting the bullets, but it's you know 200 years prior. Um, so probably, uh, the, the most apt description, you know, the most apt reason that is the ancients actually believed in connections between the seven metals of antiquity and the seven classical planets and silver Argentinium, uh, is only, is only one of the metals to be associated with the moon along with any gray or silvery metals like lead, mercury, and quicksilver or selenium under the old alchemy table of elements, silver came from the moon, gold came from the sun, mercury came from mercury, iron from Mars, etc. Silver is written as a crescent moon rather than AG. So it makes sense that a moon-powered creature would be vulnerable to a moon metal, and the Greeks even knew about its antimicrobial properties, even though they didn't know about microbes themselves, and this was uh, rediscovered in the Middle Ages, so that could be another um, portion for the silver killing werewolves. Gotcha. You know, so, something I, I noticed when you were um, talking about that is the you know quicksilver or selenium and uh, do you recall a character in a vampire werewolf movie whose name sounds like Selenium? Get, give it to me. So the main character of Kate Beckinsale is Selene. And I, I never put that together, uh, which makes me okay. wonder. You know, she is a, a vampire who hunts werewolves. And very well could be that, that sort of idea there. So that's kind of neat, though. I, I just thought about that when you talked about it. With with the the science that's related to, um, you know, the werewolf and, and either the mythology or the actual status that we have, you've probably been like me if you look at um, the you know the the Daily News or whatever it is, the National Enquirer, and all these sort of tabloid magazines will occasionally show pictures of wolf boys or wolf women are those types of things. And those people have actual um, disorders with their um, hair on their body that covers basically every inch of it. And they can actually have that appearance of those people. And, and I'll take a little bit more look on what we've got on that actual science. But I've always felt like um, a lot of our mythology, I believe, comes out of um, events that are true to us and we can't really understand. Um, I've never heard anybody say this. I've always wondered, you know, do people find dinosaur bones and then all of a sudden create these ideas about dragons? And, you know, if you have these giant structures and these heads where you can recreate and see those giant mouths with the teeth, you know, is that their version of, of dragons? Or at least pterodactyls, you know, the flying dinosaurs that were there. And I think just taking that another step further, if we have these actual accounts of people who have this overgrowth of hair 
um, that very well could have been something historically that then was, you know, over, um, what do you want to say, publicized or overreacted to. And that was the werewolf. So anyway, hypertrichosis is a medical condition uh, which results in excessive body hair growth. Uh, it's on different parts of the body. And although it's rare, there have been several notable cases all throughout history. And so, um, uh, and yet of course, we see those in circuses, uh, P.T. Barnum, those types of things. Um, and, and there's notes in here also about this occurring in Mexico, and that tends to be where I have read actual scientific accounts of this uh, actually coming out of Mexico. So there appears to be a genetic analysis that's been done on the DNA, and that there are some abnormalities that uh, occur within the X chromosomes, and um, that's going to affect the, the genes that control hair growth. So it's pretty neat um, that you've actually got some real, quote-unquote, real possibilities of um, what someone could do to look like a werewolf. Now, not probably pretty neat for the people who look this way. <laughs> you know, that, that would certainly be a problem. Um, and just as, a, as an aside, not um, to go completely down the road, with all the science that we've got here. But I, I've mentioned in our first podcast that the werewolf was the character that I tend to identify with the most and like the most. And in, in, in saying so, I think it's, it was similar to what Bradley had said about zombies and how much he liked them is that they're so close to being human. They're just simply, they're these versions of us that just passed away where I feel like the werewolf is primarily um, human except for the times that they have to become the werewolf. And, of course, there's that whole angst that's involved in that character who usually, as, as portrayed, um, is someone who does not like the fact that they kill people. And so it's definitely one of my favorite characters. I think there's only a tiny bit of that within this episode where we see the, the main character, Segrist, who does put himself in the chain irons and wants to kind of protect himself um, from other people. Um, and so that, that was kind of neat that they at least brought that part of it in there, but that really wasn't the story um, yeah. that they were trying to tell. But, yeah, one aspect of it that I really thought, you know, because we talk about rabies and we sort of know what yeah. rabies is uh, because, you know, it's this deadly disease transmitted by a bite from infected animals. Uh, but one of its things is it targets the cells, uh, you know, in the central nervous system in the brain, and as they become... Uh, increasingly infected, the cells do. Uh, they begin, the, you know, whoever suffers exhibits aggressive behavior, uh, develop muscle spasm, experience hallucinations, and produce uh, excessive saliva. Uh, but, yes. but likewise, the idea of uh, lyc- uh, lycanthropy, as we've talked about, is sort of an, an infection contracted from the bite of another werewolf, and and maybe that uh, originated from rabies itself. That seems to be what it was, and uh, without medical knowledge, it's easy to see how people could have thought that, hey, this rabies that they don't know about uh, has a supernatural sort of explan- explanation or a curse. Uh, but but there are even like uh, you know psychological disorders, uh, delusional misidentification syndrome (DMS) is one thing where people have reported you know thinking they're wolves and becoming wolves, and people have done it with animals in general. Uh, you know. And a group, of, and it's like a group of just neurological illnesses, pretty much, which a you know a patient perceives some traumatic change or some traumatic event of people and places to sort of be the cause of that. Uh, 
and they also think that it that it that this actually sort of circles you know the area in the brain that is is concerned with self recognition and perception of one's own body and uh that's one thing that it's sort of you know talking about even going into puberty you know we talk about like movies like I'll talk about in a little bit the teen wolf that's sort of the self perception of puberty and how you perceive yourself as you're changing uh you know it's 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 not really a medical disorder. Puberty's not. I mean, it's a natural part. But if somebody's in the process of it, it's oftentimes, especially if you look, it's linked to, you know, some, something like poltergeist activity. Werewolves are sort of connected, I guess, to uh, puberty in a way because it's sort of the same. That, you know, you're changing, your body's changing, and it like well, the Michael I, J. Fox movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see how they use that as a vehicle. You know, to to represent actual change that's occurring in, in these characters, and so taking them from an early age, and then having them go through those types of changes, I, I can see how that matches with, with all of that. Um, and and yeah, certainly, you know, the the idea that um, a bite from a dog would then turn someone into kind of like a stark raving, you know, wild person, um, could certainly add to that myth of the werewolf. And, you know, people just interpreting what they see if they didn't have the medical knowledge at the time um, that would, you know, cause them to do that. So that's that's all good stuff. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, before we get into that, just talking about wolfsbane real quick, it was it's actually a real flower. Uh, and that's something that I think or it's a real poisonous plant that I think people would take to subdue the the, the changing. But uh, it actually does kill nuanced animals, including wolves. And uh, so I guess that's where that got linked to. Uh, and the superhuman strength or speed exhibited by werewolves is probably just a simple reflection of, you know, the remarkable endurance of wolves. And I think that's personification of wolves itself. But, you know, we've talked a lot about that. And I feel like we've done we've done our science part justice this week. Let's move into uh, movie picks of the week. So, uh, Robert, before I get into my movie picks, you want to talk about some of these honorable mentions? Yeah, I mean, there's, these, there are a couple of movies that I just rattled off the top of my head when uh, Bradley and I were talking about doing the recording. And, uh, you know, one of the honorable mentions, which I would actually put up there in the, the top picks, um, is the movie American Werewolf in London. Uh, it has a wonderful kind of satiric look about it but at the same time there's identification with a character who um you know does not want to be a killer and eventually puts together the pieces of his his events that have been happening to him um it has a great scene of the characters originally walking through the scottish moors and going to places that are you know very suspicious of strangers and um, the the legends, you know, continue. But Diffin, uh, Diffin, <laughs> Griffin Dunn is a character in that who plays one of the first attacked people. And uh, he um, is just hilarious. And the special effects that go with him, you know, are fantastic. And to my knowledge, um, you know, again, this is uh, American Wolf in London is a John Landis film. And um, to my knowledge, this is one of the first times that you see this process of someone changing into a wolf. 
and it being as um, graphic as it is. Um, they used to do um, behind the scenes uh, stories about this, this particular movie and how there were little pistons inside of the mask really? and that would extend the jaw to uh, make it grow out. And of course there were then air sacs that were, you know, used with controllers to puff out certain areas as the, um, the, the, the character made the transformation into the werewolf. And, and that followed into many movies thereafter. And as a matter of fact, the howling is a movie that had very, very similar ways that their werewolves, um, transformed. And it almost became kind of like a standard way for a werewolf to transform. Now, I can't remember what happened in some of the original Lon Chaney Jr.'s um, werewolves or Wolfman stories. Uh, there might have been the one with the, the sort of like the stop motion um, animation where they showed the hair growing on the hands. Uh, I don't remember those scenes per se, but that had that in it. But um, love both um, American Werewolf in London. The Howling kind of it's 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 okay, but there were actually it's pretty good in the first one. But then there were many successive Howlings thereafter that became kind of comical. So there there are my two uh, ones that we have there for the the honorable mentions. Yeah, those are both great honorable mentions, and uh, you know, and this may be, I don't know how. Um, how to put this, but American Werewolf in London is just one of those that has uh, escaped me. I haven't seen it. I've never seen American Werewolf in London. You would you you would easily put it on the on the top, if not you know in your top five for sure. Yeah, um, and and I'll talk about the transformation scene in a minute. But number five for me is 1985's Teen Wolf. I really enjoyed it. I mean, what? That's a that's a Teen Wolf. It's okay. I knew it was going to be on there. Why you don't you don't think I like Teen Wolf? I mean, I would... no, I know you like it. <laughs> it's got an eighty-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so I don't know why why you're trying to tell 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 me why you liked it, Bradley. I I do not mean to rain on your parade of Teen Wolf. Because man, you've got Michael J. Fox as a werewolf. This is you know hot off the heels of a uh, of Back to the Future. Man, come on, what what more do you want? Michael J. Fox a werewolf. That's what I want. He's playing basketball. What? What do you want? Yeah, there, there, there's no actual fact in your discussion of why Michael J. Fox is so good in that. You're just saying you like Michael J. Fox in the costume of a werewolf, and that's the best thing about it. Yeah. There, there are, there are some pretty good scenes in that, but the thing that bothered me the most was that when Michael J. Fox played basketball in that movie. It is the most pathetic looking basketball that I've ever seen. Now, Michael J. Fox could skate. He could play hockey. He's Canadian. The man could not play basketball at all. So, uh, yeah, not not so thrilled with that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Ben Affleck make an appearance in that as one of the basketball players? Is it Ben Affleck? Oh, I got it wrong. It's got a 42% around it. Why do people not like this? Bradley. It, it is a kids movie. It is if you compared Teen Wolf to American Werewolf in London, you you would be shocked. You've got that to you have put a, this higher than American Werewolf in London. I'm trying to have a variance, sir. Well, good, but make it make it a good variance. 
I remember watching that and thoroughly enjoying it, and I was in. And you were school, you were what eight? I loved it the first I time still, you saw it. I've, I've watched it since then, and I've enjoyed it. Just get off my back, man. I love it. Go get go your ahead. train turned around or something. Um, your chime, your chimes, chum. Hey, I'm gonna go get spliced after this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I may be spliced right now. Number four, the Hammer film, uh, Curse of the Werewolf. I'm a sucker for Hammer films. This has only got a fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I love Hammer films. I love everything they do. The the uh, wasn't uh not Peter Cummings. Uh, who was the the vampire in one of them? Uh, who's the guy? Who's the guy? Count Dooku. Um, we we <laughs> we always talk about this, and I always draw a blank. Isn't it Chris something? Chris yeah, Christopher Lee. Lee. Um, yeah. So I mean, just stuff just stuff like that, man. Uh, another another great one, A Silver Bullet. Uh, I mean, come on. Have you ever read the book Silver Bullet King? Man, classic. Okay, um, yeah, no, I I love Silver Bullet, and of course, I think I told you, your buddy from the Twin Peaks. Um, is is actually the the main bad guy in that? Yeah, yeah, and he is. And uh, this is uh, Silver Bullet was eighty five. Stephen King, of course, only a forty five percent Rotten Tomatoes. Why do people not like werewolf movies? It, it still wasn't that great of a movie. It was good. <sighs> I really I really liked it. But no, I think in the, in the pantheon of great um, werewolf movies, uh, not that not that fantastic. Well, uh, my number two, what really should be my number one, and I'll explain my rationale in a second. Number two, The Wolfman from 1941, the famous Lon Chaney uh, Jr. one, uh, 80% of Rotten Tomatoes, uh, or no, 90% of Rotten Tomatoes. But, and, and you're talking about the, the transformation scene. The transformation scene, I remember, is when it just shows his feet, and they sort of back into there you go um, into the thing. And that's that's 1941. Uh, great one, of course. Uh, but my number one film, and not necessarily because it is a better film, uh, Cry of the Werewolf, it, it actually sort of takes a different approach. Uh, it only has like a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not the best film. It's weird. There's a female mm-hmm. werewolf. And originally my approach to this movie picks list was that the number one movie I would watch and stream on YouTube and you can't watch and stream Universal films, but this one's like you can find anywhere on YouTube. So that's originally was my approach was to watch these, but it's got an interesting take. Uh, some people loved it, and some people thought it was really just weird and, and bad. It's a fun watch. I mean, it's it's so nonsensical in some places, and it just goes to show you the the vast difference that some of these uh, some of these films had, like from the forty one Wolfman to this forty four thing, where you have such a classic, and nobody can really live up to Lon Chaney Jr., but then you have that. Uh, but yeah, that's my movie picks of the week. Uh, do we have anything else? Is there anything else you got to say about any movie picks? Well, I just want—I just wanted to say that the actual basketball player who was dressed in the wolf costume when they had the basketball scenes—I um, just found out who that was. His name was uh, Jeff Glosser, and he was a Loyola Marymount University um, college basketball player um, who was the one responsible for doing the. Uh, Nice dribbling and the dunking. And um, you've maligned him here in this this podcast. No, 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 no. I did not malign the wolf. <laughs> I maligned Michael J. Fox when he's not in, in the wolf costume. So okay. just like the uh, coach says, I mean, don't get me wrong. I may say I don't like films, but I can still quote them. So when the coach says, so, you know, wolf out, wolf on, we'll do what you do, wolf, wolf. You know, when he says that yeah. to try to get him to play better. 
Um, I think the coach knew what he was talking about because Michael J. Fox still, when he's like actually winning and still, it's just, uh, you know, you play basketball, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the worst thing you can do typically when you play basketball is to look down when you're dribbling and look at your hand as dribbling. And there's so much of that. Uh, when he's doing it. And then the the layups that he does are so lame. I just can't get over it, man. I'm sorry. Um, I live in Kentucky. I grew up in Indiana. It's we're all about hoops here. So yeah, hard for me to handle. Well, you know what else is hard for me to handle? Spend another minute talking to you. It's <laughs> <laughs> good timing. So you just go over to Rupp Arena and you do whatever you need to over there? No, sorry. Cardinal Arena, brother. Never oh, going oh. to Rupp. Never oh, going to Rupp. When's the last time Louisville won a won a NCAA championship in basketball? That they that they didn't get taken away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 2016. Oh, was it 2016? Mm-hmm. Louisville. I mean, they still were a very good team under Patino. They just did a bunch of stupid things to uh, take them out. But uh, it's what? Well, of course, my recording stopped. But I'm I'm getting it on my end. Just just so you know that. There was a time when people, when they talked about Mike Krzyzewski of Duke, and they would say he's really a young Denny Crum. And Denny yeah. Crum was the basketball coach that won twice with the Cardinals back in 81 and 86. 81, of course, famously with Daryl Griffith, Dr. Duncan Stein. Yeah. And then 86 with another team that had some stars on it, but not, not like Duncan Stein. So, uh, yeah, there's a little basketball knowledge for you. And every single one of those guys never looked down when they dribbled. Just saying. <laughs> and uh, here at Colshack Loop, we are never looking down. We are looking ahead as this Sunday we <laughs> – this Sunday we're going to interview Rodney Barnes, writer, producer, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. The Runaways, he's written for Marvel Comics, written uh, Falcon. Uh, he's also written uh, Lando, his current project, Philadelphia, something great. He's written for Boondocks. Uh, I think he was a producer on Everybody Hates Chris. A lot of great stuff for him, We're, and he's a huge Kolchak fan. That was what inspired his newest work and what inspired him to get into it. Was, he said it was the first thing that got him into vampires. Uh, so we're going to get into that. We're going to dig into that. He's also like Salem Salem Slot. He also likes uh, Night of the Living Dead. I feel like I haven't mentioned that on the podcast in like two episodes, so we're really missing out on me not talking about Night of the Living Dead, living dead on here. Um, and Robert, I still love that I called him George George B. Cromero. Yeah, uh, yeah, y'all are in cahoots. Y'all, are, I, I got rich to be on the podcast. I got rich to be on the podcast. Listen to this, uh, I got rich to be on the podcast. He's trying to create a friendship with my new friend behind my back and trying to get get weasel his way in and become the closer friend to Rich. Uh, so yeah, I know. Are you now saying enough so that when Rich hears this, he's just gonna dump us? It's like these clowns think I'm friends with them already. I got to change oh, yeah. my numbers. I got to change my email. I'm not going back on. I'm not going to change the fact that I've given you eight bumpers. <laughs> see, he gets. So there's that. <laughs> he see somehow Robert gets eight bumpers out out of out of uh, Rich. Don't ask me how, but uh, yeah, him talking about all this behind my back. You know, but, uh, I think it might have been at some point I just turned his train around. I, I don't think we want to. When with, with or, that, or 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 rung his chimes. Either one. I'm not sure which and, way it was. Uh, You're speechless now, aren't you? Okay. I'm sorry. And okay, 
And with that, well, I'm just going to end it. We, we've said our information, uh, at gmail.com at callshacksleep. Find us there. And uh, for, <laughs> for all things Call Shack, you can find us right here inside the loop. The loop. Us. The lupus. The lupus? The lobo. <laughs> the lupus. Where the wolves are. Ow. Werewolves of London? Yes. Or is that Sweet Home Alabama? It's perfect. Oh my gosh.